Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we open the word uh, together this morning, we desire to hear from you. So we ask that your spirit be our teacher this morning. Help us to be attentive. Fill our hearts with faith, Father, to embrace the truth. Enable us, O oh Lord, to change where we need to change, to, to bring our thinking and our actions in line with the word of God. Encourage us today in the gospel that we would not leave as a discouraged people, but as a people who recognize that we are great sinners, but Christ is a great savior. And that wherever sin prevails, grace is greater. And so let us leave with that encouragement in our hearts and the conviction that to act upon it for the glory of Christ. Amen. Beloved children are a blessing of the Lord. The scripture is very, very clear about that. In Psalm 127, and beginning in verse 3, the psalmist writes as follows, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. It is a blessing of God to have children. It can also be a source of great grief. It can also be a source of great grief. The Proverbs write in Proverbs 17 and verse 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. This great blessing can be a source of great grief. Disobedient children are one sign of societal depravity. Disobedient children, a sign of societal depravity. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, as he lays out the deep, dark descent of man, beginning in verse 28, he writes, Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, Murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. What a terrible litany. Disobedient to parents. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Striking, isn't it? In, in, the, in the chronology of the, of, the, of the descent into depravity of a society that disobedience to parents, disobedient children, makes the list. It characterizes a society that is descending into chaos, spiritual darkness. The Apostle Paul further speaks in 2 Timothy chapter 3. As he speaks about the signs of the, of the end of the age, the last days, in verse 3, of, or excuse me, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, 
Or he says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Again, the sign of the, of the last days, of the end of the age, of the, of the impending judgment of God that will draw down the curtain on this age. One of those signs is disobedient children. The destruction of the family is a huge issue. Our title this morning, and you can open your Bibles to the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Our title this morning is Raising Children to Do Right. Raising Children to Do Right. Our text is Ephesians chapter 6. And beginning in verse 1. God established the family structure. And he views disrespectful and rebellious children as the equivalent of disrespect for him. And he views that very seriously. In fact, he puts it on a par in the law of Moses with treason and idol worship. The prescription is the death penalty under the Mosaic law for children who strike their parents, for children who are incorrigibly rebellious to their parents. The death penalty. It's an abomination, we're told. The blessing of God comes from obedience to your parents and the curse of God falls on those who are disobedient to their parents. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. Accordingly, the topic of raising children within the protective confines of a believing community is an important topic indeed. Many of you are in the midst of that, and, and, and this is huge. But some of you are yet to enter in, and others of you are, you would think, I'm beyond those days, but, but there is still much to learn, much value to be gained from God's perspective on these things. So whether you have children in your home or whether your children are gone and moved on, this message has something for you. Here in chapter 6, in verses 1 through 4, Paul provides a threefold approach to raising children to do right in a world that does wrong. A threefold approach to raising children to do right in a world that does wrong. First, the first approach is we need to help them to recognize their obligation. We need to help children recognize their obligation. Listen to Paul here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. We've spent months looking at verses 22 through 33 and the, the obligations and duties of wives and husbands. And Paul now is, is turning from that lengthy address to, to speak within the household to the, to the next segment of that household, parents and children. 
And just like he has done here with wives and husbands, and will do, verse 5 and through 9, with slaves and masters within the household, he will speak first to the one who is called to submit, and then he will speak to the one in authority. That's our structure. Beyond that, as we have noted multiple times, this entire household code, beginning in in verse 22 and running through chapter 6 and verse 9, all flows out of Paul's words beginning back in chapter 5, really in verse 15 and following, where he says, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. And he goes on and he says in verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be continually filled by the Spirit of God. And as you are continually filled by the Spirit of God, walking in wisdom, it will change the way you operate within your marriage, it will change the way you operate within your home with regard to your children, and it will change the way that slaves and masters operate, and when we get to that, we'll talk about it. Spirit-filled living plays itself out very practically, very practically. Now, as we begin to look at this section together this morning, there are some observations, I think, that are probably good to make just to begin. What I want you to notice here are a few things. First, there is an assumption that the children are are included in the meetings of the church and are, and are hearing the word of God read. Right? Chapter 6, verse 1, he is addressing children. These would have been house churches in which the, the, the family unit would gather, the family units would gather, and the word of God would be read. And, and when they receive a word from the apostle Paul, they would read it. And so there is an expectation here that that the children are part of those meetings and they are hearing the Word of God read because it is speaking to them. He doesn't say, you know, fathers, tell your children to obey you. And that takes us to the next observation, which is that the children must have been old enough to understand themselves what the Apostle Paul was saying and to believe it, and to act in accordance with it. And since this is an overflow of a spirit-filled life, I think there's a reasonable assumption that that these children, at least some of them, are spirit-controlled people. In other words, they're regenerate. They are believing children. They're Christians. As I say, Paul addresses the children directly, not through their parents. So, how old? How old are these children? We don't know. We can only surmise. The word children, the, the Greek word translated children here, speaks of those that are young. Young enough to to still be in their parents' homes, but old enough to to deliberate over whether they will obey the command that is being given to them here, because this is a command. So young enough to be in in their parents' home, but but old enough to hear, to, to consider, and to choose to obey or not. Furthermore, if you you look over in verse 4, or the instruction to fathers to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord indicates that they are still being brought up in the home. They're, They're being trained in their homes. So how old are they? I don't know. Old enough to hear? Old enough to understand? Old enough to believe? Old enough to obey? Young enough to still be under their parents' care and intense discipleship. Different ages, I would guess, 
in different societies and different uh, ages through history, as it were. Now, to these children, to these children who Paul is addressing directly here, children, he he provides them or he gives to them two overlapping but not identical commands. Okay? Verses 1 and 2. Two overlapping but not identical commands. The first demand or, or command that he gives to them is to obey. Paul demands that they obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's really short, really succinct, it's really direct. To, to obey, hupakuo is the, is the Greek verb here, and it means to do what you are told. Children, do what you are told by your parents in the Lord. There's no qualifications Given here, there's no limitation. It's intentionally broad, I believe. And, and, I, and I think, as I, as I read this, I, I think about Paul's words to wives back up in verse 24 of chapter 5, where he says, wives ought to be uh, subject to their husbands in everything. That, as you remember, we looked at, is a very broad statement. Well, this is broad. Children... Do what you're told. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. No limitations, no qualifications. All right, be honest now. When we hear these kinds of things, the little defense lawyer inside of us goes into overdrive and begins to think about all the hypothetical exceptions. Yeah, but what if? Yeah, but what if? But what if? Paul finds it unnecessary to deal with the what ifs. Did you notice that? He doesn't take it up. He doesn't take it up. Are there some what ifs? Of course there are some what ifs. But the focus on the what ifs is to, is to rob the power of the command. So let's not think about the what ifs. Let's think about the what Children, obey your parents. This is a present imperative. What that means is that it carries the idea of, of, a, of an ongoing action of the verb. So there's this idea of ongoing obedience. Children, obey all the time your parents. Not one time, all the time. When they tell you to do something, you do it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. I mean, I wish I could, like, tease this out and say, well, there's all this stuff involved in it, but there's really not. It's just a super simple command. Do what you are told. You ever think about that? I mean, there are, there are not much in the Scriptures that God addresses directly to children. And when he does... There's an economy of words. It just do what you're told. Do what you're told. Now obey your parents in the Lord. This expression, in the Lord, we probably ought to just talk about for a moment or so because it has generated some discussion of, of possibilities of what Paul is, is saying here. So, so some believe that it's a reference to Christian parents. In other words, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your Christian parents. Obey your Christian parents. I didn't read anybody who said this, but I, but I wonder what they're thinking about all of that. Why would you say that? Is that so if they're not Christian, you don't have to obey them? That sort of defeats the purpose of it all. So I don't think that's what it means. 
Others think that the statement in the Lord it defines the parameters of the obedience. In other words, in things Christian. Children, obey your parents in Christian things. What about non-Christian things? Again, I, I, don't, I don't think it really deals with what Paul's talking about. So, I believe what Paul is giving here is the reason for their obedience. In other words, they're Christian themselves. Children, obey your parents as Christians. You are in the Lord. And that expression, in the Lord or in Christ, is used all through Ephesians to speak about our faith union with Christ, the status of a believer. And since this falls under verse 18 of chapter 5, right, the, the, the practical outworking of a spirit-filled life, I think it makes sense. Why should children obey their parents? Because you have been incorporated into Christ by faith. That's why. Because you now have within you the, the desire and the motivation and the power to begin to do what you could not do before. So children, as believers, do what your parents tell you. Why? Look at verse 1. Why? Because it's right. Simple as that. Because it's right. This idea of being obedient to parents is, is woven throughout the law of Moses. It's woven in the law of Moses. As I told you earlier, there, there are numbers of places in the law where, where very severe penalty is, is imposed for those who are not obedient. But the, but the notion of obedience to parents is, is an expression of the mind of God that is woven into the law of God, and it expresses that which God considers right. Dekaios, righteous. Over in Colossians chapter 3, and verse 20, where we have a parallel passage of sorts, Paul's letter there, the church at Colossae, where he covers some of the same themes. He does so in, in a more abbreviated form than Ephesians. But there he picks this same thing up, and I'm reading here from the ESV, but he says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So over here in Ephesians he says, for it is right. Over in Colossians he says, for it pleases the Lord. Well, what pleases the Lord? That which is right. That which is right. Now, the, the rightness of a child's obedience is made clear because it's the, included in the Ten Commandments, right? It's the Fifth Commandment. And the Ten Commandments are the introduction into the entire Mosaic Covenant, into the Law of Moses. It's the doorway in. And so, obedience to parents is the fifth commandment of the doorway into the Torah, into the law of God, the, the basis of the God's covenant relationship with his people. So the first demand here is to obey. The second demand is to honor. It is to honor. And I said these overlap, but they are not identical, and that'll be a little bit clearer here as we go. Again, we have a, we have a command here. We have an imperative. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, parenthetical, Paul's words. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Now, this command here to honor your father and your mother, as I say, it incorporates the prior command for those children who are still in the home. For them, how do you honor your father and mother? If you are, let me just put it to you. If you are 
In your parents' home, how do you honor your mother and father? You obey them. You obey them. To dishonor them is by disobeying them while living under their roof. You honor them by obeying them. You dishonor them by disobeying them. And as you learn to honor them, you're learning to honor God. And ultimately to refuse or to fail to honor them is to refuse or fail to honor God. God is the one who establishes these authorities. He stands behind them. Years ago, Carol and I were working in college ministry and I will never forget this. There was a young man who came up to me and uh, we had been talking about some of those things and, and what he wanted to know was, well, when does my obligation to, to obey my parents end? And I looked at him and I said, this is, this is simple. Do you want to know the answer? And he said, yeah. I said, when you take your hand out of your daddy's pocket. And he just looked at me. I said, as long as you got your hand in your daddy's pocket, then you have to obey him. When you take your hand out, then you don't. Eventually, a man leaves his father and mother, right? Isn't that what Genesis 2 says? He leaves his father and his mother, and he is joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. When that happens when he leaves his father and his mother, when he moves out of his father's home, when he's no longer dependent upon his father, then his responsibility or obligation to obey his father terminates. But what does not terminate is his responsibility to honor him. That's why I said they're overlapping, but they are not identical. The responsibility, the obligation to honor never ends. The obligation to obey does. Jesus, several times in the Gospels, addresses the issue of honoring your parents as an adult, right? I won't take you there. We won't take the time to look there. But, but in Matthew 15, verse 4, in a parallel passage, in Mark 7 and verse 10, is the discussion of Corbin. Do you remember that when we went through Matthew? This is where Jesus is, is, is calling out. He's, he's criticizing the Pharisees in their teaching because they have taught that those under their law, under, under the Pharisaical teaching, that which they have which was to, to take care of their parents. They have dedicated it to the Lord so it is no longer available to care for their parents. And Jesus says you invalidate the law of God by your tradition. Your obligation to honor them remains. You, you can't just say, well, I'm just serving God, and here I am serving God, and, you know, parents will have to take care of themselves because I'm serving God. And Jesus says, uh-uh. He doesn't cut it. If you're not honoring your parents, you're not serving God. You can't substitute here. The other place he talks about it is in the rich young ruler. It appears in Matthew 19, 19, Mark 10, 19, Luke 18, 20. Same encounter, three gospel accounts of it. And there it's the young man who comes, right? And he says, uh, what do I have to do, you know, to basically earn eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the law. Do this, do that, do the other. He says, and honor your parents. And then he says, oh, yeah, I've done all that stuff. And then Jesus says, well, then sell everything you've got and give to the poor and come and follow me. And he went away sad because he had much wealth. So Jesus puts his finger again on the issue of honoring your parents. Fulfill the law, honor your parents. This is close to the heart of God. Very close to the heart of God. Honor your father and mother, verse 2. 
And then Paul says, which is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Hmm. Honor your father and mother so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. The fifth commandment. Paul notes that, that this commandment contains a, a promise with it of, of a long and prosperous life for those who will obey. So I've been thinking about this. What does it mean for an adult to honor their father and mother? How does an adult honor their father and mother? Well, I am indebted to a blog post, actually, that was forwarded to me by Tim Chalice. You can check it out on your own. It's entitled, Six Practical Ways to Honor Your Parents. So I have included that and plus some additional thoughts of my own. So ways to honor your parents, okay? Just like practical ways to honor your parents. The first one is, um, it's it's. Back to this whole thing, you know, you're living in your home, you're living in their home. So if you're, if you're in the home, here it is. First time obedience with a happy spirit, okay? That's how you honor your parents. First time obedience, happy spirit. No rolling the eyes, no dragging the feet, no negotiating. Do I have to? None of that, Okay? First time, every time, with a happy spirit. That's how you do it. You don't like those terms? Simple. Get your hand out of your daddy's pocket. Now, if you're 12 years old, tough. I mean, it's just like, it's the way it is. It's God's law. And if you love him, you'll love his law. If you love him, you'll love his law. If you find his law to be irksome to you, there's something wrong inside your heart. All right. So some practical ways outside the home. Okay? So it's kind of adult children. Anybody here who's not a child? Yeah, you're pretty sharp, aren't you? So this is all of us. That's right. That's why I said, you know, it doesn't matter. Kids in the home, out of the home, whatever. Okay. All right, here they are first. Extend grace to your parents and do not hold their sin and shortcomings against them. Extend grace to your parents and do not hold their sin and their shortcomings against them. Be willing to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. He who has been forgiven much forgives much. He who has received much grace extends much grace. So, whose parents were ideal? Never made a mistake, never sinned against you, right? So extend grace to your parents. Extend grace to them. Secondly, speak well of them. Speak well of your parents and refuse to speak evil of them. Speak well of them and refuse to speak evil of them to your siblings, to your spouse, to your children, to your church, or to your community. Right. If you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. But refuse to speak evil of your mother and your father. Now, there are some of you out here I know that have some very painful memories associated with your childhood. 
that your parents were far from the character of God. Some of your stories I know personally. Others I don't, but I can only suppose. So if your memories of your mother and father are a source of great pain for you, then I want to offer you two things to remember, okay? Two things to remember. Here they are. They gave you life. And do not ever forget that. They gave you life. And particularly in the world in which we live today, that is a gift. They gave you life. Beyond that, if it were not for the terrible circumstances of your life, you would not have bowed the knees to Christ and come to believe upon him for your salvation. In other words, God providentially used their evil to do you good. That if you had grown up in a nice home like others, you wouldn't be a Christian. Part of the process by which you, he brought you to himself includes the painful memories of it all. That is a theological statement that has to be appropriated by faith and believed upon. Joseph says it in Genesis 50, right, in verse 20 to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He doesn't deny that it was evil because it was what they did to him. But God is greater. His grace is greater than sin. And he, and he overwhelms sin. The message at the end of Romans 5, that where sin prevails, grace superabounds. And he has brought you to himself. And part of that process is your painful memories. So remember, you remember that. And speak well of your parents and refuse to speak evil. Next, esteem them publicly and privately. Esteem them publicly and privately. In other words, respect their need to, to see that they have made an impact upon you for good and, and give them credit wherever you can. Thank them for what they taught you. Now, this may require you to think about them in a way you've never thought about them before. But they made an impact on your life, and there are certain things that are good that are a result of their parenting of you. Find them. And thank them. And thank them. Next, seek their wisdom. Seek their wisdom. In the end, you may choose not to take it, right? In the end, if you seek their advice, you may choose not to take their advice. But it honors your parents when you recognize they have lived longer than you have. And so you speak to them about life's major decisions. Ask them for their input. And then filter it through the Word of God. And filter it through the Word of God. Ah, I would never ask them. They're unbelievers. What, do I, what can they ever teach me? Well, how about they've learned how to live in this world for a long time, Mr. Smarty Pants? Okay? So there's something to learn there. Something to learn. Support them through expressions of love and care. Phone calls, notes, gifts, remembrances, visits. So tragic the number of people that are, that are confined to, to these nursing homes and they go week after week and month after month and nobody comes to see them. Their family has put them away to die. 
that does not honor them. So support them. All right, go home and call your father if he's still alive. Or your mother. Tell him you love him. Next, be patient with them. Be patient with them. Listen respectfully to their old stories. Yeah, Dad, I love this one. I, I like the way it ends. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Be patient. That honors them. I know you've heard the story a million times. Listen to it a million and one. Okay. I say this because I'm a storyteller. I'm already I'm telling my kids, listen, I'm only going to get worse. <laughs> so you better listen. Two more. Provide for them financially in their old age. Provide for them financially in their old age. Paul speaks in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 4, right, addressing this very topic. He says, if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Your parents have cared for you, you care for them. If they didn't care for you, you care for them. You need to provide for your parents financially if they are unable to provide for themselves. This is what it means to honor them. And finally, give them an honorable burial. Give them an honorable burial. In other words, honor them right through to the end. Okay? They are made in the image of God. They deserve an honorable burial. All right. As I say, Tim Challies influenced me in a number of these in his fine blog post, but here's a blog post that I didn't find that I'm going to offer to you. Ways for parents to help their children's duty become a delight. Okay? So we've been talking to children about honoring your parents. Let's talk to parents about how to make your child's responsibility to honor you a delight rather than a, a duty. Right? They have to do it. It's a duty. But it doesn't have to be a duty that they just you know, suck it up and do. It could be a delight for them. And wouldn't that be nice? So how do we go about that? How do we as uh, parents make our children's duty towards us a delight. So let me offer you some. Here's some practical ways, I think. First, invest in them spiritually and relationally. Invest in your children spiritually and relationally. How you do that is a million different ways. We're not prescribing do this, don't do that, whatever. Just invest. Okay? Invest. When does the investment end? When you're dead. When you're dead. Invest in them spiritually, invest in them relationally. Secondly, accommodate your living arrangements to theirs. I'm thinking here now in old age. Okay? But in old age, accommodate where you live to where your children live. Because you know what? They're going to have to take care of you. And, and why make it hard for them? Why do you want to put them on an airplane all the time or, or to be so far away that they can't help? So think about that. Think about that. Third, submit your preferences to theirs at family gatherings. 
You know, we always have to do it the way mom wants to do it, right? Well, how about if mom submits to the preferences of the children with regard to how Thanksgiving dinner is put together? So right along with that, develop an appreciative and a thankful spirit. Avoid complaining. No one wants to be around somebody who complains. It is really a downer, isn't it? So, those of us old people, okay, make it easy and stop complaining. Be thankful. Be appreciative. Next, be an encourager. Speak kindly. Be an encourager to your children. You, you know, you, you're doing a good job. Doing a good job. Speak kindly to them. I lost track of the count, but anyway, next. Be content with your circumstances. Be content with your circumstances. It kind of goes along with the complaining thing, right? Just be content. Right? What does the Lord say? With food and clothing, with these, I am content. Right? God knows what you need. He'll take care of you. Next, be a giver, not a taker. Be a giver, not a taker. Seek to serve rather than be served. Seek to serve your children rather than be served by your children. Seek to serve the body of Christ rather than be served by the body of Christ. It's a, it's a, it's a frame of mind, it's an outlook that is spirit-produced. Right? Jesus says the Son of Man, not even the Son of Man came to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So, so if our Lord came to serve, then we created in the image of Christ are to serve as well. So be a giver, not a taker. Next, do not meddle in your children's affairs or offer unsolicited advice or criticism. Nobody wants mom and dad to come over and tell them all the things they're doing wrong. Okay? So, don't meddle. If they ask, then you may give them advice. If they do not ask, zip the lip. Okay. Invest relationally and spiritually in their children, your grandchildren. Look beyond to the, to the generations to come and invest. If you're old, you're going to die. Okay, newsflash. You're going to die. And when you die, all the junk's going to be put out on the front lawn on Euclid with a big sign. Okay? I just went by one yesterday. House full of treasures. You can have it now for dollar, pennies on the dollar, right? Spend your life accumulating junk. And it all ends up in a yard sale. But relationships, they go on. They go on to the life to come. So Invest. Invest. Right? Invest in those grandchildren. Invest in those grandchildren. So they know that Christianity is transgenerational. This is not just something mom and dad believe. This is like something that, that grandma and grandpa believe too. There's a, there's a stabilizing reality to that. Last, if possible, set aside a financial gift to bless your grandchildren. Right? Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 22 says that the, the righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So if it's possible, set something aside for your grandchildren. Your children will appreciate it, that you care enough to be thinking that far out. That's one point. We're not going to finish. Okay? Those of you holding your breath 
and wondering, okay, now what's he going to do? In fact, that's enough. Huh? That's enough. Think on these things. Come back next week. Can't be here. Catch it on the website. Because there's a lot more here in verses 3 and 4 that I want to talk about. Okay? But for now, we've got enough to, to ruminate on for the week. Let's pray. Father, the relationship intergenerationally is so close to your heart that it's woven deeply and widely into the Mosaic law, which is an expression of your heart. It was what Jesus modeled with regard to his own parents. I just think about him on a cross at the, at the very end of his life when he, he's bearing the, the weight of the guilt of the sin of his people for all eternity and he, and he calls out and, and commends his mother into John's care. Right at the very end. Our Father, we confess that way too often we are self-absorbed that we don't think enough about these issues as adult children we don't honor our parents as we ought and as children within a home we don't take seriously enough the command for obedience our Father, help us, your people. We're weak, we're frail, we're prone to failure and wonder. But Christ has his arms wide open to us and, and he calls us back. He forgives graciously and and enables us to begin again. I pray, O oh Lord, for us as a body of believers here that we would, we would invest intergenerationally. We would see our responsibilities in this. We would see how it is gospel-motivated, gospel-driven, gospel-beautifying. And that you'd allow us to go against the currents of our own decadent world. As we see families shattered, intergenerational strife, rebellious and disobedient children, selfish and uncaring parents, self-absorbed grandparents, wasting their children's inheritance on the fleeting pleasures of this life. God, change us. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Beloved, uh, we've got a lot more we can say. That's what a preacher says when these run out of material. But, but in this case, we really do. And so if you will come back, uh, we'll pick it up again next week, okay? God bless you.